This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Hi, I'm Derek, and when I'm not working on the hook for Joe's mom's next greatest rap album, I'm stacking Benjamins, baby. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we're packing up. It appears the people of Globe, Arizona are saying goodbye to good old neighbor, Doug. And while I compose myself to tell you and Joe's mom my tale on today's show, let's talk about empathy. A recent Harvard Business Review piece says there's one key to empathy, and we'll share it on today's show. To help us learn how to cope, we welcome Angela from the Tread Lightly Retire Early blog. And from this podcast, say hello again to OG. And finally, from LenPenzo.com, it's the talking horse, Mr. Ed. Nah, he went and hit the hay, so it's just his lookalike, Len Penzo. Think that's all? Oh, no. Think again, because during our Friday FinTech segment, we'll introduce you to a new app that might be a good tool to help you better understand your money. To tell us about Copilot, we'll chat with founder Andre Ugarte. Of course, we'll take time to magnify a lucky someone's money, and I'll toss out one last round for the road of my Arizona-themed trivia. And now, another guy who won't be missed in Globe, it's Joe Salciha. Well, it was fun while it lasted, but Doug got in trouble again. More on that later, but man, do we have a great show today. Sitting across the card table from me, though, for another Friday to help us kick off the weekend is Mr. OG. I can't believe that uh, in the town of Globe, Doug figured out a way to get in trouble. Within two weeks. Within two weeks and we're gone. Yeah. You're out of there. Mom's packing up now and uh, it's over. 
and a Just guy another town that Doug can't be in. Speaking of Doug, a guy that was an outcast in Los Angeles, so he dug himself a tunnel and said, "Get me out of it." I dare you. It's Len Penzo from LenPenzo.com. You know what? Doug is welcome in my bunker anytime. Oh boy, Joe. you have no idea what you're <laughs> wishing upon yourself, my friend. Oh, you know what? Uh, maybe he can bring me some of those delicious chocolate chip cookies of his and, uh, you know, it'll be worth it. Uh, Mr. Ed hitting the hay. You you hit the hay? Do I hit the hay? You hit the hit the hay, hit the booze, hit the whatever. I don't uh, know. Not not today. I'm not hitting the booze. Actually, I'm hitting some water because I have some work I have to be doing. After this podcast, fantastic! I can't, you know, my job I cannot be. I cannot be uh, in, uh, inebriated in the line of work I do. <laughs> you can't, can't be. I thought you were talking about the podcast. Not a good idea. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. And plus, it's seven thirty in the morning. So, why you would be inebriated <laughs> now is why you're inebriated every week when we do this, and not today. Is usually, is but wondering. not today. Yes, and I wonder who the woman who's wondering why she's not inebriated. While she's hanging out with us, coming to us from the Pacific Northwest, the proprietor of one of my very favorite blogs, and I'm so happy she's here with us today from Tread Lightly Retire Early. It's our good friend Angela. How are you? Hi, good. And I'm uh, drinking kombucha. Of right course. Now, so no alcohol for me right now either. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is the store bought variety because I did attempt to make my own. And then I left it on my counter and kept dumping out the scoby until I finally decided it needed to go in the compost because I was just filling up water and letting it ferment and then tossing it without doing the last step. So <laughs> quarantine has me thinking maybe it's time to try again, though. Well, OG has no idea what scoby even is. So he's sitting here looking it up while we talk. Isn't that the stuff that you use like in the morning to make your breath smell good? Scopey? <laughs> yes. Isn't that like a Wisconsin uh, version of scope? Scope A? It's that green stuff that's in the big, it's in the big jug <laughs> you fill up the cup with and then rinse it out? No. To get OG off, off that topic, Angela, for the people that don't know, tread lightly, retire early. Uh, tell them about what, what you write about, because you're more than just sustainability. You 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 have a great roundup of women's blogs and work that women do. I also like your Friday's Frugal Five every week. But um, what other types of topics do you write about? I've been told a couple of times that I write more of a lifestyle blog than maybe a personal finance blog. And I actually don't hate that people label me that way, because I definitely write about my experience in my life and um, how money and sustainability play into that. I think there are very few things in life that don't involve um, your impact on the environment and how money plays into that as well. For me, sustainability is kind of central to my whole life and then money kind of runs the whole thing. So on my blog, I write a lot about my garden and my little mini urban homestead and uh about women writing in personal finance and um, a lot of weirdo eco frugal things <laughs> like uh, talking to people about switching out their toilets and uh, using family cloth. <laughs> you also have been a travel blogger a little bit lately because you over the winter, by the way, what a great time to go to this place, the winter. Whose idea was it to decide to go to Iceland in the middle of the winter? Well, it was actually for our 10th wedding anniversary. So it was a uh, a joint decision. And I'm now, 2020 hindsight, very thankful we got to go. Uh, because yeah, we were right. there over New Year's. If we had gone a month later, we may not have 
been able to go. So yeah, we spent two weeks in Iceland, spent New Year's Eve in Reykjavik and um, took a boat out uh, through the Atlantic to uh, the Westman Islands in January and almost got stuck there due to some winter storms. But it was a it was a fabulous trip. I I write more about our travels locally, but I pretty much when we travel, I talk about how to do it frugally and as sustainably as possible. Yeah. And uh, who would have guessed that I could have said that I was not going to fly in 2020 other than the one trip back from Iceland. But here we are. Well, you had. So, so Angela, is it is it the North Pole for your silver anniversary? And is it Antarctica <laughs> for your golden anniversary? Is that how we're going to do this? I would actually love to go to Antarctica. But uh, we have a mid-November anniversary, which was due to the fact my husband was in the Marine Corps at the time. So we didn't really have a choice as to when we got married. But now we both kind of love it because it means that we get to travel off season, which tends to be cheaper and have fewer people and we get to do more cool things. That is so interesting. Our, our anniversary is the end of uh, November, but you can have Antarctica. We'll let you. I'll pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> not, not for me. Hey, uh, we've got Angela here with us from Tread Lightly Retire Early. we got Len Penzo here. we got OG. we got a fantastic topic. We're going to talk about the relationship between curiosity and empathy. So let's get started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Well, two things we don't usually do. Number one is we usually don't talk about a piece from the Harvard Business Review. So, Len, how about that? La-ti-da, huh? Yeah, uh, I was a little worried there when I saw the uh, when I saw the <laughs> URL, but uh, <laughs> thanks yes. for keeping it uh, simple for me there, Joe. Yes, and the, <laughs> the second thing we usually don't do is have another of our favorite bloggers here uh, with us as our celebrity reader here. One of the duo behind the hit award-winning blog, bitchesgetriches.com. Easily one of the best financial literacy blogs and most hilarious blogs on the internet. Let's say hello to Piggy. This is Piggy from bitchesgetriches.com, and I'll be reading Empathy Starts with Curiosity by Peter Bregman for the Harvard Business Review. I'm feeling deeply unsettled, my client, we'll call him Keller, the CEO of an investment firm, said to me. Of course, I could reply. We're in unsettling times, especially for you, a CEO whose organization is disrupted. You're worried about cash and operational continuity, and you're in the investment community. How can you not be unsettled in the face of such dramatic and unpredictable market swings? I totally get it. That would have been the most obvious thing for me to say. It would reflect my empathy, my understanding, my connection, my own knowledge and expertise. We'd both feel good about the exchange. But it would have been a mistake. A mistake because, especially in this very new, very unique moment, there's a response that's even more powerful when someone expresses their vulnerability. A response that's important and necessary before empathy. And that's curiosity. Because the truth is, I don't know what's going on for Keller. In fact, Keller hardly knows what's going on for Keller, and we're on new ground here. And while everything I could have said could have been true, I don't actually know what is true, which means that before demonstrating my understanding, I have to develop it. I need to ask questions and be open and listen and learn, which takes humility. Humility is not knowing, and that, eventually and almost always, leads to empathy, which leads to compassion. So when Keller told me he was feeling deeply unsettled, I asked him to tell me more. I'm glad I did. 
See, Keller didn't talk to me about his role as CEO, his operational challenges, or his investments. He's a solid leader, and like so many other solid leaders I know, he's sure-footed and capable in times of crisis. No, Keller wasn't struggling as a leader. He was struggling as a human being. Keller talked about feeling scared and lonely and sad and a little lost. He's feeling the weight of these times, of the uncertainty in human life. He's feeling the challenges of his family and the psychological shift of being alone in his house versus in an office. One of the effects of social distancing and working from home is that we are left, much more than usual, with ourselves. Who are we when we are no longer reflected in the faces of the people around us? Who are we without all the external recognition? No fancy clothes and cars to project an image. No praise or even rejection. No feedback at all to define us. This can leave us feeling lost, or as Keller put it, unsettled. Maybe you're feeling a little of that? I know I am. In a day, I feel everything, often inexplicably. Joy and sadness, thrill and anger, frustration and ease, and of course, fear. But also, of course, excitement and connection. To feel it all requires courage, emotional courage, which is why, as important and difficult as it is to stay curious about others, there's something equally important and far more difficult to do. We need to stay curious about ourselves. That is what is required of us now, in this new moment. A moment that is not simple, clear, or expected. Being curious about ourselves is how we begin to know, really know, who we are. That can be scary, but also, possibly, exciting and freeing. The hardest part? Slowing down enough to actually feel. Do you have the courage to slow down? You need courage because slowing down will, by its very nature, bring up unfamiliar and unsettling feelings. And to avoid feeling, we typically move. Over the past few weeks, I have often felt lost, surrounded by people scrambling to move. They're making plans, pivoting their businesses, voicing opinions, networking, setting direction, filling their schedules with Zoom calls. I'm on some of those Zoom calls, and when, after listening to how everyone else is pivoting, People ask me how I'm pivoting. My answer is, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I am not driven to act, and that scares me. What if I'm left behind? And then it occurs to me that avoiding the fear of being left behind is one of the reasons I act. But it is the wrong reason to act. So I tap into my courage and I don't act. And when I don't act, I am literally left behind. All I'm left with is me. And then it occurs to me that maybe, painfully, this is part of what this moment is about. I'm learning about myself. More importantly, I'm learning to tolerate myself, to stay with myself, even in my fears, even in my insecurities. And when I see that I am capable of staying with myself in my fears and insecurities, I no longer have to act to avoid them. Which leads to a new confidence, an irrepressible power, and a profound freedom to act, not out of fear and insecurity, but out of purpose and connection and strength and longing and love. There is a way in which this pandemic may be calling us to slow down and listen. What if we resist the urge to act, to just do something, and instead, stop doing? Just be present. What you discover may surprise you. When Keller slowed down enough to feel, his ultimate experience wasn't depression. It was optimism. A journey of self-discovery and radical acceptance, he told me, an attunement with the soul. So I ask you, in this moment, 
Can you stop everything for a beat, take a breath, and be curious? What are you feeling? Huge thanks to celebrity reader Peggy from Bitches Get Riches for helping us with that. I feel like the world needs some empathy right now. And I guess we'll just start off. Angela, when you read this, I'm wondering, where has curiosity affected your life most? Well, I think it's pretty interesting that we're having this conversation today of all days. I don't know if you tell your reader or listeners when you're recording. I just realized. Yeah, we record this, uh, guys, uh, slightly ahead. There has been, of course, a ton of unrest in cities across the United States. We have had reports from all over the U.S. about a lot of backlash after the events in Minneapolis. Uh, so it is, it is, I think, an important time to have that topic. And while, Angela, I do think that, you know, curiosity and empathy kind of have a strong correlation. And maybe today's the day to think about that. Yeah. And I think right now we are all kind of on high alert and high anxiety with everything that's gone on over the last four months or so. And I don't think you can pull apart any piece of that. The black folks in the United States are definitely probably looking at us being like, hey, guys, this is kind of how we feel most of the time. And I think we need to listen and be curious and realize that these are not new issues and not new concerns for a lot of people. Basically being curious about other people's stories and understanding that my story is very, very different from a lot of other stories. And I don't want to put words in other people's mouths or presume that I know what they feel like or how they're doing right now. So I think for me, curiosity is more about making sure that we can really listen and understand other people's thoughts and feelings right now and maybe taking a step back and letting ourselves be open to those conversations rather than immediately jumping into how we feel and how we want to react to a situation. Do you think that that's more difficult to do because you're a blogger or easier to do? Because sometimes I feel like when you're blogging or podcasting or whatever it is, you're used to having this platform, but the platform is a megaphone, right? It isn't, it isn't a megaphone attached to your ears. It's a megaphone attached to your mouth. I think it can go both ways, really. In some ways, it's more difficult, especially if you are not anonymous like I am. I have been very open about who I am and my name and where I live and all that. So I think in some ways it's harder to share because I am very aware that whatever I put out there is very much connected to me. At the same time, though, because I know people are listening and watching and reading my words, I know that I have to be very focused on what I'm thinking and what I'm learning and what I'm sharing because people are watching. So I think it's kind of like with sharing my money financial roundups every month about how much we spent and saved, knowing that people are watching that every month means that I pay more close attention than if I thought nobody was watching. Len, when you started your blog, and I know it's, it, you know, it's going to be hard to keep this on money today because of all the things going on in the universe, but, but we are, but we're a money podcast, but I do think there's much wider ways for us to talk about this, but did you start this for accountability reasons? The Lempenzo.com blog, did you start it to maybe start a conversation? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, with accountability, I mean, that is the subtitle of my blog. It's, I mean, it's Lempenzo.com, but it's the financial blog for responsible people. So I guess accountability is is embedded in that 
so yes, and and part of that was to make people think twice about looking inward as well. So yeah, absolutely. What do you mean uh, think twice about looking inward? Um, I guess think twice isn't the right word, but just to look inward in case sometimes, you know, people like to blame others for their problems. So, and I've just, and one thing I try to do is say, Hey, you know, there, I do understand there's extenuating circumstances sometimes, but if you refuse to look inward, um, you might find that the problem is actually more about yourself. Like you're spending too much. So, I mean, and a lot of people will just ignore that sometimes. That's basically where I'm focused. When it comes to curiosity, we're talking about curiosity and empathy. For you, when does being curious help you with empathy? Well, I mean, being empathetic, it starts with curiosity, right? I mean, because if you don't talk to people and you don't find out a little bit more about them, you don't know where they're coming from, right? So, I mean, it, it, they go hand in glove, really, I think. You can't be empathetic if you're not curious because nobody – you can't just make snap judgments about anybody. So, and the best way to gain that empathy is to learn about them and ask questions. Yeah, I feel like we do that a lot, too. I think we have snap judgments. You know, you look at the celebrity culture line that we're in right now. We see people the way people spend money. Well, well, heck, you know, you see somebody that drives a really expensive car and you immediately think either A, they blow a ton of money or you think B, they must be rich as all get out. We know that that's not always true either way. Sometimes people have so much money that them affording a Ferrari is fine because it's a drop in the bucket for them. And for other people, you know, they're spending every dollar on their Ferrari and they live in a tent next to it because they're yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's when you make assumptions, right? I mean, people do that all my kids do that. And I, and I fought long and hard with them. You know, they'll see somebody driving a nice car. Oh, look at that guy. He's so wealthy. And I will just tell them, how do you know he's wealthy? He might be in debt up to his eyeballs. So, I mean, yeah, that's the kind of thing you can't, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. And the only way to get through and, and learn about things is to ask people questions about themselves. Oh, gee, speaking of asking people questions about themselves, I mean, I think I think your job is very hard, like understanding somebody's point of view when you're sitting across a table from them or in your job more often than not virtually sitting across the table from them is difficult. How do you empathize with somebody whose life story and their financial situation is so different than yours so you're able to get the, on the same page with them? Well, that's a good question. It's a couple of things. First of all, I always tell everybody every mistake that you can do with money, I've done twice already. Once because I didn't know any better. And then the second time just for more market research. <laughs> so so trust me, I've been there. But um, it's very difficult, especially from a professional standpoint, because I value decisiveness and just kind of movement and action. And so when I hear stuff that's going on in people's lives money-wise, I'm very quick to say, oh, here's the answer. It's one, two, three, four, five. And this is how you solve this problem. And I know how to do it. I've done it a thousand times and do this and, you know, take two of these and call me in the morning. Uh, we just finished up about six weeks maybe of these 30-minute calls. We kind of kicked that off at the end of April just for no other reason than just to have an opportunity for people in our community to talk to another human being about whatever. And a couple of people have asked me, hey, did you get anything out of that? As if like, you know, from a business standpoint, did you get any business out of it? And I said, uh, very selfishly, I said, no, I, number one, I wasn't trying to, that wasn't the purpose of it. But for me, the idea was, could I spend a lot of time just listening to what's going on in people's worlds? Because 
it's a skill set that's very difficult to be good at just listening. And in my role, you know, on the planning side of things, like you said, I'm very quick to solve the problem. But these conversations weren't always about money. Sometimes they were about relationships with parents. Sometimes it was about decision making around new career choices. And, and, you know, the last several months has caused people to think differently about what they want to do with their lives and that sort of thing. And who am I to tell you whether or not you should change your job? I don't know. The purpose of it was just to have someone else to talk to. And I was very honored to, to talk to everybody over the last month and a half or so. And so what I got out of it was hopefully the ability to continue to be a better listener. And, you know, and if I was able to provide some counsel along the way, that's great too. But selfishly for me, I was trying to get really good at listening because like Len said, you can't, if you don't shut the F up, like how are you supposed to put yourself in somebody else's shoes? You know, unless you ask questions, which is a great way to kind of put that. I'm curious. Tell me more about that. And I think also with that, talking about snap judgments, I think we have to recognize that we all do it. So being curious with why we make those snap judgments and why we have those quick, immediate reactions, and then have to actually think through like, okay, this was my first initial gut reaction. It might not be what I actually want to pursue. But knowing that that happens and then being able to tackle that from that place, it, it's nice to think that other people do this, but we all do this. And so um, the more that we can recognize that in ourselves, I think the more that we can actually do better in the future. Just it's OK to have the feeling at first you're saying, Angela, but acting on it is something totally different. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Do you think social media makes that easier or harder to have a filter? Harder. Definitely. Especially on places like Twitter, where you can just put things out quickly. There are always people to jump on you one way or the other. But at the same time, I was taught that anything I'm going to write, I should be ready for it to be on the front page of the Seattle Times. Yeah. So I think it's the realization that anything you put out there could be, you know, broadcast to the world. And um, a lot of people hide behind even what's what's odd to me is that they'll hide behind social media, but with their real name, um, <laughs> which doesn't work so well. But it's a lot easier some, with a bag on your head. Yeah, but but people do it, you know, with yeah. with their name attached to it. And but for some reason, if we're sitting behind a computer or behind a phone screen, it doesn't feel real. It's like a, yeah, a layer of reality. But the realization that there are real people on the other side and that you are tied to things. I think that's part of the reason why I like not being anonymous is because it means that I am fully responsible for any of the actions that I share online. How often do we, like you said, look at the person who has the Ferrari and then decide either they're wealthy or they're dead broke or they're a fool with money or how awesome are they or whatever. One of the things that I realized a long time ago, and I'm trying to teach my team this as well, everyone knows where they are with their money. You know, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, you know it. You know, I might not have come to the conclusion that that's not the greatest thing in the world, but you know it. And you don't want to talk to me about, you don't want to hear me tell you how dumb of an idea that was. You know, like when you're talking to somebody else, what are you trying to do? You're trying to say, hey, here's me. 
and can you, you know, can you provide some counsel with this or can you guide me a little bit in this, in this journey that I'm taking? You don't, you don't need somebody to be like, well, that was stupid. You should have, you should, that was dumb to have all that credit card. I can't believe that you have all that student loan debt. That's really dumb. Like, okay, thank you for all that. (laughs) Now what do I do with that information? Right. And we have to be real cautious about that. And, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to do that and be better at it, but I'm trying to teach my team too, that when you're working with people, you're not there to bash them over the head, over the decisions that they've made in the past. It's about hope and optimism moving forward of here's how you can make decisions in the future. I feel like there's a line there because I sometimes feel like people, some people, Angela, like the fact that uh, Susie Orman tells them what to do, you know, or tells them it's stupid. And and, and I don't know if that's our own weakness or if it's, um, is it a certain personality? Well, it's definitely not the way I approach things, but I do realize that it does work for some people. But what I've actually found is that by sharing my story and being transparent online is that I've had friends in real life come to me with money questions in ways that they never had beforehand. You know, I was the first of my friends to buy a house, the first to pay off my student loans, you know. My friends were aware that I had a pretty good grasp on my money, but until I started blogging and then um, later sharing that I was blogging and I had friends read online, you know, where I wasn't there in their face and they could read my thoughts and, you know, how I saw money, then I actually had people coming to me and asking questions. So I think some of it is having that ability to digest and think through and not be immediately confronted with what's going on. Clearly, some people really like the Susie Orman type of reaction, but I think also most of them probably wouldn't do well with that face-to-face. Yeah. There's something about being drawn to a a radio video, you know, personality who says those sorts of things versus a friend that sits down to you with you one-on-one kitten in your face. Yeah. A phrase that Peter uses in this piece, Len is emotional courage. And it sounds like a lot of what we're talking about here is this idea of, of having emotional courage. I mean, I, I think sometimes, especially on your blog, you talk about EQ, right? There's IQ and EQ, but emotional courage. What do you think about that phrase? Well, you know what? I like it because a part of that is it's about the fear of facing up to your failures, okay? I mean, that that's one example of emotional courage. And it's kind of like looking inward. You've got to accept your failures if you're not willing to do that because I think we all know people who refuse to ever accept any responsibility for anything or admit that they're wrong. I mean, and that's always the first step in almost anything important, right? You have to admit you have a problem. Well, and he says that he says that in the piece that we avoid these times of stillness, right? It's when I'm still that I know that, that I know in my heart and in my head that I've got all this credit card debt or, you know what, I shouldn't have taken out so many student loans or maybe I totally messed up on that investment or whatever the case may be that I messed it up. So he said, we keep moving. You know, I love that, that, that we keep moving to avoid the still periods. And you're exactly. saying, yes. you're saying you got to be still more often. You absolutely have to be still more. I mean, you have to sit, you know what I do a lot of my 
introspection and no, it's not on the toilet. It's, it's actually when I'm laying in bed at night before I go to sleep and I'm, and I think about things like, how could I have done this better? Or why, why is this project I'm doing not working out the way, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I lay there and it's quiet and it's just me and my thoughts. And I use that time to actively look inward and ask questions of myself. And that almost always good things come of that eventually. I might not like the answers I get sometimes, but I mean, it's very important. Well, and it's interesting, Angela, as, as Len's talking, I think about when you look inward too, it also reduces the blame that you might have on somebody else. Cause then you start focusing on what you can do instead of what you wish somebody else were doing. Honestly, the stillness thing is something that I am very much still working on. It's very difficult for me. I struggle with anxiety. And in the last year, I've actually gotten on anxiety medication, which has helped significantly. People often ask how I'm able to do so much and do so many things. And that includes reaching out to friends and making sure they're doing okay. And, you know, always making sure that I'm pouring myself in other things, because that personal stillness is very, very difficult for me and tends to make me pretty anxious. So it's been a slow process to doing more of that, but it's, it's definitely not something that comes to me naturally. Well, so then that phrase for you that he used emotional courage meant a lot to you too, then I would think. Yeah. Um, it's definitely one of the harder things to do in life. I have been starting a daily yoga practice about like the last 40 days now. I've been doing at least 20 minutes of yoga a day. And the first week or two, you know, I went through the motions because I told myself I was going to do it. But once I got back into it, I, I before my son was born, I used to do yoga a lot more. But um, I feel like I'm finding myself get back to that place where I can lay on the mat and like let my thoughts go and be still and quiet. Finally, taking the time for myself for those 20 minutes has been a pretty big deal because I tend to pour myself in out into 50 million different things, partially to run from anxiety and partially to be a good person to others. But hey, with with or without the goats, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you, you, have you seen the people who do the yoga with goats? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately have not gotten to do that, but um, I do yoga with my son sometimes and the dogs like to come over and sometimes the cat will jump on me. So <laughs> I don't know if I need goat yoga too, but it's, it, you know, it's tempting. <laughs> yoga with family. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting one sometimes, but oh, it can be fun. We, we do like frozen yoga and stuff too. So, Oh, I'm up for, I'm up for frozen fr yoga. I was going to say, I, I like frozen yogurt, but frozen yoga. Is it Something That's totally. the same thing as Froyo, right? <laughs> <laughs> you get mine with peanut butter and like oh, you know, the chocolate syrup. Oh, yeah. oh, I'll together. Yeah. That's where just, just, just finish that word, Angela. Make it yogurt and we're good. Frozen uh, yogurt. Oh, my, my husband actually calls yoga yogurt on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OG, I want to ask you about your meetings because I think this time of stillness that uh, Peter talks about here is more important than ever when you're having financial planning meetings with people. Like how do you make sure that the distractions stay out and people can be still for a minute and focus on their financial plan? Uh, that's a really good question. Sometimes people just show up and just say, Hey, I didn't do any of the homework. 
and I got 22 minutes before I got to drop my kid off for dance. So let's get it. And that's fine too, you know, because that's just where they're at right then in, in their life. So unfortunately, um, OG, that doesn't that just cheat. They cheat themselves. Right. I mean, that's unfortunate because I mean, that's that's an opportunity lost. Yeah. I thought, I thought you were going to go the other way with that. I'm kind of with Len. I'm like, I thought you were going to say, Nope, go home and let's wait till you got the full hour. That's a, uh, you know, that's really good observation. And I think that by and large, that's probably the right choice. You know, it's like, if you're going to brush your teeth, you might as well do it for the two minutes. You know, you're already there for the 30 seconds. What's another minute and a half type of deal. But, you know, some people, I guess it's going to be a little bit person specific, but, but you're right. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I can tell you, we've spent way more time planning and unplanning our potential Disney vacation this year prior to COVID during COVID and after uh, while all the uh, reopenings are happening and trying to decide what we, we spent more time on that this year than we have on our retirement plan. I guarantee it. It, That's not a, a a different kind of symptom. I don't know what is, but there's, that's it. We're not unique in that. And Len, I think you're spot on. You're probably cheating yourself a little bit if you can't dedicate a few hours, a couple times a year to just be quiet and just work on this stuff too. Len, there's a phrase you said, I think it, it was a couple of weeks ago. It was when we did the 68 pieces of unsolicited advice that the most interesting people are the most interested people. Starts out with being interested in somebody else first. And I felt that the entire time I was reading this piece. Yep, absolutely. And again, isn't that funny how we come back to this? I mean, ask questions and be interested in others and um, good things come of that. Yeah, we will give our guest of honor the last uh, takeaway. So Len, we'll stick with you. Is 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 that your takeaway or what's your big takeaway from this piece? Uh, you know what I'd say is empathy and curiosity are so complimentary. It's like chocolate and peanut butter. So that's my takeaway. Yeah, what a, what, what a time we need it today too. Uh, OG? If you can work on adding the phrase, I'm curious, tell me more about that. You'll get more out of every interaction that you have. And Angela, you've got the last word. So then the last word, I think I've been pondering on what I want to say here. But right now, especially, um, I'm curious, tell me more. But also understanding that there are some people that right now are not going to want to tell us more. And being able to Google and read what's been shared online and if it's a really simple, straightforward question, maybe your first place isn't to ask somebody to do the emotional labor to explain to you what's going on. But maybe a place to start is by listening to the people that are already talking about it and understanding that asking the question is wonderful and bringing it up as an issue is wonderful, but also not placing the burden on someone else to then have to explain their side of the story. Well, on today's show, I'm so excited about this Friday FinTech segment because of the fact that we have seen lots and lots of different ways to manage your money. And I've often talked about the fact that many of the solutions that are out there, I have uh, lots of issues with. So I was really excited to see Copilot 
another entry into what I think has become a crowded field, but one that has so many interesting characteristics and is being handled so differently that I thought we should learn about it together. So on Friday FinTech segments, we do not endorse the companies that come on. We're just learning about them together. And today let's hear about Copilot from founder Andreas Ugarte. And on my dad's shortwave, it's our new friend, Andreas Ugarte. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm great now that you're here. And I have to tell you, you know, we talk to founders a lot and uh, just just the look of Copilot is so cool. You can see uh, we're going to learn today about what's under the hood. But man, if you're looking for something that just looks great, Copilot's mm-hmm. fantastic. So congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Tell me the founding story. So did you think that there was a better way to look at your budget? Was it a personal issue or did you see an opportunity in the marketplace? So to take a quick step back, my background is in engineering. I'm an engineer. I've been building products, uh, mostly on mobile, for uh, many, many years. Most of that time I spent it at Google. I've always been interested in the personal finance space, trying out all the new apps as they've been coming out over the years since Mint got acquired. Honestly, I've been mostly underwhelmed and frustrated with all the uh, different products that I've been trying uh, over the years. And I finally got my green card and I was able to start my own company. And I knew that like my expertise in building consumer products with my interest in the space, plus uh, this, what I felt was uh, a big gap in, um, even though it's a crowded category, I felt like no one was really nailing the personal finance experience on mobile. So that's kind of why I started prototyping things around personal finance and quickly decided to start with budgeting, day-to-day tracking, month-to-month tracking of uh, your expenses. To me, that's the key thing that you need to get right if you want to build a, a really great tool. What was the pain point though? What was missing that you really wanted to address that Copilot addresses that other people don't that you were hoping for and right. you just weren't seeing? That's a great question. Sadly, there's no one killer feature that I can point you to. I feel like what was missing was a combination of small things that end up adding to a big thing, right? Um, Getting the user experience right um, when you're on your phone is actually uh, very important to me. And I feel it's critical for any product. The other one was like the way I think about my money is very different than the way you think about your money. And a personal finance tool should be able to reflect that. Otherwise, you're not going to stick to it. It's not going to make sense to you. So we really invested a lot of time and engineering in like building a product that feels approachable, it feels simple. But if you're willing to put the time and effort into training it and to creating your own group of categories, it actually can get as complex as you want it to get which is something that people really appreciate. And I think that's the main reason why people, from what we see in the data, is like our users, once they go through the onboarding, they actually stick with the product and they open the the app multiple times a day, actually. The engagement retention is super high because I feel like they are able to model what they see in the app to actually 
match how they think about their finances. And I think that that was something that was missing in the yeah. products that um, are out there. Yeah, for me, it's the you guys are using. Let me see if I get this straight. You're using machine learning so that every time I turn on the app, depending on what I do, and as I train it toward what I do, I get a better, more personalized experience that's different than, you know, my partner OG or my mom's neighbor, Doug, or anybody else here in the basement. My experience right. with Copilot's going to be completely different than mom's will be. Yeah. So it's, I mean, machine learning is just like a means to an end. It's not actually kind of like the thing that we do that no one else does. It's right. a combination of things where sometimes we're going to get the categorization wrong. We're going to get like a refund that we think is maybe a, a, like your paycheck or something like that. The fact that you're able to quickly fix that and that the app gets smarter and it learns and it doesn't commit the same mistake again, it's something that is like a big pain point in this category, right? I still get my monthly email from Mint saying like, alert, this big expense just appeared on your on your account. It's like, yep, I'm paying rent every month. <laughs> uh, same amount of money. And it's like, please get smarter, get better. I'm laughing about that too, because I can't tell you how many times I had to tell I don't know if it was Mint or another app, but I had to tell it over and over and over that Caribou wasn't hunting. It was a coffee shop. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. So let's walk through it. Where do I go first? Do I go to copilot.money? Do I go to the app store? How do I first experience Copilot? Right. So it's worth mentioning that right now we're only on iOS. So if you have an iPhone, the best way to find us is to go to the app store, uh, search for Copilot. And we're going to be there. Um, Copilot that money is our website if you want to read more about it. But um, you download the app and the first step is to connect your bank accounts. You can connect your credit cards and checking savings accounts. Those are like the types of accounts that we see people connecting the most when they're like first creating their account. And just to stop you there briefly, Andreas, my understanding too is this is bank level security, right? I mean, the same security features when I put all my things in that right. I would get at any place where I'm banking. Yeah. So we rely on Plaid. Basically, we don't see or store any of your credentials. The data we get from Plaid is like your transactions your account balances. And of course, we we store that data in a way that it's secure and we're not sharing it with anybody, um, which is a big thing for us. Like we, we're just here to provide a service to you. That's why this is a paid product. We have a low sus uh, monthly subscription fee. Uh, you connect your accounts. Copilot analyzes your transactions to find any recurring expenses, uh, meaning monthly bills, subscriptions, all of that stuff. Because we quickly realized when we were building this product is like to deliver a good experience and a, a like useful information throughout the month, we needed to have a good understanding of the expected expenses that you, you're going to have throughout the month. So we do that automatically. And then the next step is based on your transactions over the past three months, we suggest categories to get you started on the tracking side of things. And the same goes with suggesting budgets. So basically the idea is like the moment you connect your accounts, Copilot analyzes your data to suggest like a good starting point for you to start using the app automatically. And then once you're in the app, you can customize it as much as you want. Like every category has a, for example, like a color, it comes with an emoji 
which uh, our users really appreciate. When I was designing it, I was worried that it could come across as like childish, but actually it doesn't. It helps you digest the information on the screen way faster um, because these are like icons, images, instead of having to read every category name. So one of the small things that people really appreciate uh, is that we pay attention to those things. And yeah, you can group your categories as like however you want. You can have a budget instead of having a budget for every category, for example, you can set one for the entire group of categories. And that's pretty much the gist of it, of like onboarding, yeah. setting up your account. And then a feature that um, it was very interesting when we added it, because I wanted people to help us train the models so that we would get the categorization right. So we built in the dashboard in the app, a daily snapshot of what happened with your accounts. So we show you a summary of, hey, these are the transactions that posted yesterday, for example. And you can see this was income, this was like a restaurant expense, and you tap it and you mark it as reviewed and it goes away. So it's kind of like a like an inbox zero experience around yeah. your finances. And it ended up being the most engaging feature we have in the app. People come back to it multiple times a day if you have a lot of transactions <laughs> uh, happening on your accounts. But yeah, it provides like a way for you to stay on top of your finances that doesn't require you to sit in front of a computer once a month or once a week, maybe with your partner and go over these statements and uh, review every transaction. You just do it on your phone. It's like this quick interaction that's like very simple and it doesn't take a lot of time and people really appreciate that. Well, that's what I really like. Uh, Cheryl and I have a weekly money meeting and being able to go through and click each of the expenses as we go. And it makes it so quick to do that. What I find really interesting that you talked about, though, that I want to make sure we don't gloss over is Copilot will show me expenses, recurring expenses that are coming up. So if I can right. plan ahead, I'm not surprised by something coming up in the future. You know, as a guy that used to always have uh, insufficient fund fees back in the mid 90s when I was getting my right. act together, man, being able to look ahead can help so many people plan. Talk about setting that up. Uh, you mean from the engineering side of things yeah. or as a user? Yeah, yeah. How easy was it to see when you had a recurring expense oh. or do I have to train it to say, hey, this is going to recur every month? It wasn't too hard, to be honest, to get a like a V1, if you may. We basically look at like the last three months, we see which transactions are reoccurring around the same time of the, of the same the same day or the similar amount and the names kind of match. So we use kind of we follow that logic to suggest like, hey, we think these are recurring expenses, but the user can tag easily tag any transaction that we missed that was actually a recurring expense with one tap. And yeah, the more people use the app, we're we're getting better at like automatically detect this. And I agree with you, like in order for you to be able to really understand your finances and plan ahead, you need to account for all the big expenses, even, even the small ones, but like everything that you know is going to happen throughout the month. That's why in the app, for example, we consider any upcoming recurring expense to be money that you've kind of already spent because we know it's going to, it's going to happen. So if you're spending on your house, your home category, and we know there's a bill coming up, 
we already account for it and we tell you, hey, you're going to be over budget when this actually appears on your account. So there's a lot of small things we do in the app that actually makes hopefully every part of the app very useful. Um, for example, our dashboard doesn't have the, the usual chart where you see like uh, when you pay rent or your mortgage, the chart just jumps because like that's by far the biggest expense you have uh, throughout the month. And then the chart is not really useful because you're not seeing, you're only seeing like that you paid your mortgage or you pay your rent. So we take out of that equation, all of the recurring expenses and we only show you you're kind of like your flexible spending throughout the month. So it's really easy to see. And the chart gets like yellow and orange if you're like overspending. Um, so it's a, it's a quick way of helping you stay on track to actually by the end of the month be under budget. Yeah, diagnose on the fly. And it's funny because I think about it as you're talking about when we look at stocks and we look at the companies whose stock you want to own have great free cash flow. And so you're already taking to it account cash flow you might think you have now, but that's really tied up. It is not free cash flow. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of quick questions. When it comes to, uh, you, you said you're on iOS now, plans mm -hmm. to come to Android in the future. I'm sure you've been asked that before. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we are still a pretty small team. We are six people. <laughs> so We've been focused on getting the experience right on iOS, and I think we're getting there. So, of course, we want to start building not only on Android, but also an experience on desktop and on iPads. That's another feature request we we get a lot. But yeah, we the way we approach this is like instead of doing a lot and not doing it right, we want to like focus on stuff and once we get it right move on to the next thing <laughs> and so that's why the focus has been on let's make this app that really works very well on your phone for ios and now that we're kind of like getting there we can start thinking about okay uh, android and desktop and all of that stuff with the mint app what used to drive me crazy when i used it andreas was all of the ads that I got in my face all the time. You guys right. have avoided yeah. that by being, my understanding is a subscription service. You have a, you have a subscription yep. so that I'm not going to have a bunch of ads paying for this experience and watering it down. Tell me about the subscription. So we had a beta testing phase from August of last year until uh, December of last year. And we had a few hundred users who were beta testing the product the most frequent piece of feedback we would get was like, hey, I've been using Mint for many, many, many years. I've been looking for a better product, but I haven't found that like product that is so much better that it's going to convince me to actually switch over to a new platform. And the, the feedback was like, hey, I found it. Please don't do anything crazy with it. Don't put ads on it literally take my money and keep building what you're what you're building and so that was a big sign for us that when we launched we wanted to launch with a business model that was sustainable and that would align our incentives with the users so that we're going to do great if our users really like the product and they're willing to pay for it and i think setting that bar that high has been the best decision we've made so far and 
we found a lot of users who are willing to pay a low monthly subscription fee to not have to worry about like what's going to happen with their data and use a better tool. And as I said before, like our users are opening Copilot multiple times a day. So this is like part of the daily lives to stay on top of their finances and they really appreciate having this better experience yeah uh, and by the way how much is the subscription currently 2.99 a month okay when you say low that's incredibly low right that is incredibly yeah. low thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule making copilot Thanks better andreas me. i really appreciate hanging out talking about copilot by the way if you want more uh i will have a link to the web and copilot.money uh, if you're walking the dog or out for your morning run, whatever it might be. As I said to somebody recently, Andreas, I told them I used to say commuting to work, but I don't think anybody does that anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but we got you covered. We'll have links to Copilot on our Stacking Benjamins uh, show notes page. Andreas, thanks a ton for hanging out. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Hey, trivia fans, it's your melancholy. Yeah, that's right. I know a few big words. I said melancholy. Uh, it's your melancholy friend, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Right when the neighbors were finally starting to wave when I'd walk down the street, and just as I was getting in with the local buffet owner, although I get it, who's friends with a buffet owner right now? Uh, he needs a buddy. You know, everybody needs friends in tough times. And I just found that hole in the fence so I can sneak into the neighborhood pool. Totally scot-free. But nope, it's all for naught. Why? Well, I'll tell you, so I can practice breaking it to Joe's mom. But first, I need to go hand a bartender some Benjamins and drown down my sorrows. Which brings us to today's trivia. The oldest still-operating bar in Arizona was established in what year? I'll be back faster than you can glug, 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 glug. All right, we explained the convoluted rules to this game to Angela behind the scenes. Here's what we're doing for those of you new to the show. We have a year-long trivia contest. Len is in the lead with eight. Len, I got a question for you. How the hell is it June and you're still in the lead? What's going on there? <laughs> hey, Matt, don't sell me short. You know what? I was a co-winner last year, so I'm not the... <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Those are fight words. OG <laughs> is at seven after having the lead uh, out of the gate. True. And Angela, <laughs> and Angela, you're playing, I probably should have paused there, should I have? And Angela, you're playing on behalf of our friend Paula Pant, and she has had a huge comeback lately, so no pressure. She's at six, so it's Len 8, OG 7, and Angela set slash Paula have six. And because you are taking Paula's place, you get to decide first, because she's in last, would you like to guess the answer to this question, Angela, first in the middle, or would you like to guess last? Let's go with the middle. All right. Angela's going to guess in the middle. Uh, what about you, OG? I'll go last then. I saw OG. He, his face lit up when, when Angela said middle. All right. So <laughs> OG is going to guess last, which means, Len, you are taking the first crack at this one. What year was the first bar in Arizona open? Well, I'm going to say, let's see. What's the average, um, what's the average TGI Fridays open? How long is the average <laughs> TGI Fridays? Probably, uh, 
I, you know what? I, I have no clue, Joe. I, I'm just going to take a stab. Um, let's say it's before. I'm going to say, OK, because we do have prohibition, right? We have prohibition that might have screwed everything up. Now, when did prohibition end? That's a good question. I can't remember. Um, but you know what? Maybe it stayed. Well, legally. Uh, it's got to be in the 20s. I'm going to say 1929. 1929, the longest running bar in Arizona. Angela? I'm going to go older than that. I bet you there were places that were open before the prohibition that reopened. But there are definitely some older buildings that would have been, you know, turn of the century. So I'm going to go with 1904. I will do a full century later than my original guess. I, I wonder too, you know, Len, Len mentioned prohibition. I wonder if trivia a hundred, 150 years from now, people are going to go, well, they had that COVID. And remember when you couldn't go into the restaurants because of the COVID? Maybe do you think that'll be a thing. Who knows? It, it, it'll be a thing. It will be a thing. Yeah. Uh, OG, that gives you uh, 25 years between those two numbers. Which is baloney. All right. So, um, <laughs> maybe going last isn't as great now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was great when you guys, you know, the first take of this, which wasn't recorded. And for those people, awesome. for, for those people listening, we needed a rules clarification, which is bar that's open now bar that has been open the longest, not uh, when there was the first bar. We started off answering the wrong question. OG pointed it out, and now he's furious. There's an asterisk over this whole game. The whole game, <laughs> no matter what happens. I throw so out all the results. I, I felt pretty good about having 1847 till present. I got to say, I know, OG, Angela shares your fury. She's going to be on Twitter going, this whole trivia on Stacky Benjamins is a sham. I should have never gone on the show. <laughs> She's going to write that second part for sure. It's going to ruin her reputation. Um, all right. So oldest bar. The only thing I know about Arizona is there's something about Winslow, Arizona and the a flatbed Ford? In a flatbed truck or something. I don't know. She's slowing down. Um, the only thing I know about Arizona. So I'm going to say uh, before 1904. So I will say uh, 1903 and I'll have everything before that. 1903. So you just Chelsea Brennender on the absolutely 1904. All right. I work out, but that's what I picked. We'd love to tell you when the longest uh, operating bar opened, but uh, first we have to take a little break. Bonjour. Welcome to French Made Easy with me, your host, Mathilde. Today, I'm joined by certified financial planner Devin Carroll, and together we will share a popular and simple French phrase so you too can use it in your own life. Sound easy? Sure. Today's phrase is valuable when you see a woman named Sally. Say this. Sally, can I store my gold in your doomsday bunker? In French, you would say this popular phrase just like this. Sally, est-ce que je peux ranger mon or dans ton bunker anti-fin du monde? Once again. Sally, est-ce que je peux ranger mon or dans ton bunker anti-fin du monde? Now, let's hear certified financial planner Devin Carroll try it. Ready, Devin? Okay, yes. Sally, est-ce que de ranger mon dans ton bunker anti-fin du monde? Oh yeah, I know that for sure. 
perfect! See how we sound almost exactly alike? You too can speak French easily and comfortably listening to Stacking Benjamins. See you next time! Au revoir! So, Angela, that's the way the game works. You have a great answer like 1904 and somebody comes and takes away half your thunder. Isn't that great? Well, the good news is I'm only on this week, so sorry, Paula. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, not my problem after this. Len, you've got 1929. You've got uh, everything after 1929. So if... if Actually, I've got halfway to 1904 too, don't I? It could have just opened last (laughs) year and you got it. I think OG's got this. You think? Yeah. Well, OG, 1900. 19- I feel like I should have done it a decade earlier. I feel <laughs> like I <laughs> probably barely missed the boat. You could have gone 1804, which, by the way, before we clarified, was Angela's answer <laughs> the first time we did this. All right. Uh, let's, let's see, Doug. What's the answer to the question? Hey there, trivia fans. It's your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And since you're all wondering exactly what I did to get the whole crew kicked out of Globe, well, here's my story. Honestly, it it couldn't have been my fault, right? I mean, it was a warm day back in the summer of 85. I'm driving along, blasting my new Def Leppard mixtape in my Chevy Cavalier, when all of a sudden, hey, that car was bitching, man. When all of a sudden, I come across an apple orchard. I looked at the clock, and it was exactly 2 p.m. Come on, stackers, you know what that means, don't you? Are you telling me you wouldn't have done exactly what I did? Who would have known that apples do that when you throw them toward, you know what? By this point, I'm sure the video footage has circumnavigated the globe and you can see firsthand exactly what I've done. I'd just like to say I'm sorry to each and every one of you who was offended. I thought moving to Texarkana and then Michigan would solve the problem. But listen, I get it. I'm so ashamed. I I just, I can't, I'm so ashamed. And now I got to figure out how to break it to Joe's mom. That lady's going to be furious. But before I ruin her world, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what year was the oldest bar in Arizona first established? Now, the Palace Restaurant and Saloon is both the oldest business and oldest bar operating in the state of Arizona. Located on historic Whiskey Row in Prescott, The saloon was opened in 1877. All right, I'm sure most of you got that one. It was one of my easier ones. Thought I'd, you know, throw you a softball there for my going away uh, gift to everybody here in Globe. So time for me to go let down Joe's mom real easy. Yeah, (laughs) I knew it. I think Good Angela. Oh, no, you guessed nineteen twenty-nine. You <laughs> well, didn't know anything. That's what I was going to say, Angela. The only good news there is if you would have stuck with eighteen oh four from the first one, you still would have had it wrong. So, you know what I'm impressed I'm with? Curious when the first actual bar opened in the state. <laughs> if, only, that answer. if only. If only we had a machine. Actually, I'm impressed you actually knew how to pronounce Prescott. <laughs> it's it's well, you I don't. You pronounced it wrong. No, it's Prescott. <laughs> I have to tell you how I know. When I lived in Texarkana, Texas, there was a little tiny town that looked like it was Prescott down the street. But in Arkansas, it isn't even Prescott. It's Prescott. 
That's 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 the way you pronounce it. I I don't know if I got enough twang on that. Is that like 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 Peabody, Massachusetts, not Peabody? Well, thank you for the uh, for the pronunciation guideline. Any anytime, Jim. Nice, nice job. Hey guys, <laughs> let's uh, take a second here and help somebody magnify their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of MagnifyMoney.com. Angela, when you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what happens? Am I supposed to be answering something here? <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies the answer. There it is. We've got the answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the correct answer might be no. I have, I have no, no. idea. <laughs> the, what happens is you find out that those uh, bank products you've been using from your local brick and mortar bank, probably not best in class because over 92% of the products you use every day for banking, saving, taking out loans, credit cards, whatever it is, they're all rated very simply and succinctly at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Uh, head to magnify money for more. And you know what? Instead of answering a specific question, I want you guys to all weigh in on one that I asked the Twitter sphere last week. I went to my average Joe money profile and asked this question. What's something you didn't realize how expensive it was until you had to start buying it yourself? Angela, when you, when you read that, um, what did you think? Something you didn't realize how expensive it was until you had to buy it yourself. You know, that's kind of a good question because pretty early on, my parents were pretty invested on us having to spend our own money or at least give it to us to then figure out how much things cost. So like with school clothes and whatnot, we got a budget and had to go out and shop for ourselves. So oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I was nine, I wanted a bunk bed. And so I had to save up half the money to buy it. So... Uh, I'm probably going to go with something that has to do with, um, well, okay, let's go with childcare. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That, that one is painful. Shocking, actually, how much money it costs. I um, felt, I felt like I got a huge raise when my kids went to school. <laughs> yeah, my, goal, my goal is not to have a huge raise and that money is going to be diverted directly to his college fund. Nice. So, but it's going to feel really, really good to be able to put that kind of money aside for him when that happens. But when I was growing up, my grandmother actually still lives with my parents, but she did from the time I was a baby. So with my mom working from home and then having my grandmother home, they never had any childcare expenses. And it's nothing that I really considered until having my own son of not just how expensive childcare is, but how overwhelmingly complicated it is yeah. um, if both parents are working or if you are a single parent household. So I'm, I'm going to do just expensive in money, but expensive in time and energy and effort. And yeah. And for me, it was worry. The first uh, childcare we had for our twins was horrible just to, and I won't tell the whole story, but I drove into our kids childcare. What's that? Oh, that won't go into all of it. <laughs> I drove into my kids childcare and the husband drove in behind me, pulled into their driveway behind me. And then I found out that he was the one watching the six kids and he had just run down to the store while six toddlers were there alone. Uh, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was I, yeah. sorry yeah. about that, Joe. I, I, you know, I didn't mean it. <laughs> 
I know the big, Len. The big one was watching the little one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just I realized Len just had to go get some smokes, but uh, you know, there 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 it was. And by the way, Angela, I'm going to take the other half of that for me, which was when I first went to college, I went on, I was incredibly naive. And when I went to college, I went on a scholarship when I decided to change schools and went to Michigan State, I was paying for it myself. I didn't understand how expensive college was even back then until I was paying for myself. And I also didn't understand how much I hated horrible professors until I was paying for it myself. I remember sitting in a class next to a guy and he's like, this class is a breeze, man. And I'm like, I'm not learning anything. And I was, I was upset. It was really not. I'm like, I'm paying for this crap. It was unbelievable. Uh, Len, how about you? What did you find was more expensive when you had to pay for it? Well, I'll take the derivative, the derivative of Angela's, which is uh, actually Angela's the derivative of the one I'm going to say is it's just kids, period. Oh, I mean, you don't realize all the things you have these kids when they're born what you're paying for. I mean, the diapers and the baby food and the, and the clothes. And, and if you have, well, the childcare, which you've already mentioned, but I mean, the medical and everything, it's expensive. Kids are expensive. Uh, that's not to say they're not worth it because they are, but boy, are they expensive. Yeah. I was surprised by that too. I mean, just, just every piece of having a kid, uh, Angela, you pay pretty close attention to your budget. Were you doing that before your child too? Not as close as I should have. I was very, very closely while I was paying off my student loans. And then there was a gap there between paying off the student loans, saving up money for the kid. And then the first few years of parenthood, I was just kind of trying to survive. But I exclusively breastfed for the first six months and cloth diapered from the day he was born. So um, as far as food and diapers and wipes and that kind of thing, those costs were pretty much zero. Mm. So we actually had not a huge impact to our budget on that end, but it was more on the buying things from Amazon because I wasn't getting to the store and buying takeout because oh. I wasn't cooking as much. But the the actual baby stuff and lots of hand-me-down clothes and that sort of thing. So we co-slept, so no crib or anything, but it was all the ancillary items that I just couldn't keep up with that were really expensive. Well, and that's interesting. All these other uh, things, Len, I found that to be the case too, just like Angela did, you know, you're pressed for time, getting takeout more often. I mean, so many other expenses that were dominoes off kids. Yeah. Of course, the other side of that is if you're lucky enough to have a stay at home parent, some of that, you can defray some of those costs. So you can do right. Uh, by the and way, I don't know if I would even say lucky enough to have a stay at home parent because we could have had one of us stay home, but we both chose to work because we find meeting meaning and like interest and enjoy going to work and enjoy working. So in some ways life would have been easier if one of us had stayed home, but I don't think either of us was in a place where we would have enjoyed being home 24 seven. So I don't know if you know, all the things that you hear about that save money with a stay-at-home parent. I think it's got to be a stay-at-home parent who really wants to dive into that phase of life. Yeah, good point. A couple people that answered the same, uh, the, the sense of money blogger, blogger at the sense of money, children and their needs, which are often wants, <laughs> she writes. And then our friend Jay Money at Budgets Are Sexy in all capitals said uh, babies. Uh, how about you, Mr. OG? What was expensive 
did you not realize how expensive it was until you started buying it yourself? I'm kind of in the same boat as Angela. I have um, been kind of on my own for as long as I can remember. As soon as I started working at 11, I was in charge of my own clothing and any sort of fun activities that I wanted to have. I mean, I distinctly remember buying a pair of tennis shoes that were like $40 and my dad almost lost his mind because he's like, you bought shoes for 40 bucks. What is wrong with you? You know, because you could go down to the whatever the pennies or Sears or whatever, and they were $9 a pair. And I was such an idiot for buying the new Nikes or something. But um, because kids have already been taken, which are just out of this world expensive in every level. You think childcare is expensive for one? Try three. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thankfully, they were spread out a little bit, so that helped. So kind of a never-ending drumbeat of childcare. Uh, I'm going to go with insurance, all mm. insurances. When my wife was working, we had a great health plan, and you do the calculation when she wants to stop working, and she's going to be a stay-at-home mom now. And I'm like, yeah, you know, insurance will go up a little bit. It'll be more. And it went from like... 400 bucks to 1500 and then then they canceled it and so then we went through the exchange program you know and you start filling out all that stuff they're like great news it's only 2700 and a month and then as long as you pay the first 18000 then we'll cover the rest from there so it's quite a bargain so i was just blown away by the fact that that happens to be the the cost in fact this year, we are back on a group plan that we started for our employees, too. And even though even though it costs a little bit more money, the fact that we get to cover more people is worth it. So it's just, I don't know, it's just such a weird system that uh, not only do you have to spend a lot every single month in order to guarantee your opportunity to spend a lot even more in the future, so that maybe if you need a kidney, it'll be covered. It's just bizarre. <laughs> Michelle Kagan, who's been on the show several times with their 101 series of books like uh, Budgeting 101, Real Estate 101, Investing 101, said the same thing. Oh, gee, she said health insurance. She said, I thought Cobra was crazy expensive when it ended, premiums doubled. Yeah, that was kind of our experience, I think. Len, retiring, if and when you, you stop working for the man, you're attempting to do that early. How do you plan to cover health insurance or do you work for a company where that will be bridged? Oh, I am fortunate enough to, um, they cover, I mean, I have to pay obviously a premium, yes. but it's much less than, than otherwise. Yeah. I, if, if it wasn't for that, Joe, I, uh, there would be no way I could retire early. So very important. Joe, uh, Van Voorhees, uh, said insurance, car health, home, et cetera, as well. Matt G says trips and vacations. Didn't realize how expensive they were. Those don't have to be cheap or those don't have to be expensive. Oh, geez. I was going to say, if you want them to be fun. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I love I'll, I'll hiking, you, man. I know. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Take a breath. So I made my kid the other day, my boys, when it was really nice, I said, hey, get up, get on your bicycle and go down to the donut store and get some donuts. And my son's like, I can't carry donuts all the way back and ride. But I said, no, no, not for me. Go get them for you. And here's some money. And I gave him a $20 bill. And he comes back and he goes, dad, did you know donuts are a dollar a piece <laughs> I said, yeah i'm aware of how much that are. he's like that's insane and then when you get them like you get 12 of them i said yep <laughs> and you get a coffee i go yep he's like it's like 15 bucks for that he said yep 
I said, so now do you understand when you eat half of one and it sits there and it sits there and then we throw it out how I'm just, you know, out of my mind crazy. He's like, yeah, I'll never, I'll never only eat half a donut again. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. We've been uh, working on that concept with my son with packs of gum mostly right now because he's really into bubble gum because he's five. A dollar is a pack of gum or four quarters. More exactly. It's God, and I can remember when a candy bar was ten cents. Oh boy, I was gonna say. I was gonna say, Angela. Len is your son's five. He's into gum. Len's fifty-five. He's into gum. So it it isn't gonna change. Yeah, that dollar is gonna maybe be a little bit more reasonable when he's fifty-five than when he's five. It's a good chunk of money for him now. That that really that's a good lesson. Danny said booze. And remember, Len, when Greg McFarland used to be on the show in, in his book, Control Your Cash, he talked about alcohol and not just for your quality of life getting rid of it, but how expensive it is. Yeah, absolutely. You get rid of uh, the alcohol and you get rid of even cigarettes. You get rid of those two items and bam. I mean, you'll save a lot of money. Angela, you here's th- a tip. Yeah. Let me give you a quick tip, though. If you are going to buy alcohol, go get it at Rite Aid. It's a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> it is still so we've actually been doing the exact opposite lately booze has been pretty expensive for us lately because we've been buying it completely from the local breweries and wineries and the wine shops part of supporting our local restaurants and our local community right now through covid instead of buying the grocery store stuff on sale we're going directly to these local stores and restaurants and they cost a little bit more money, but right now, you know, we're both working and have the financial means. So we've been spending per bottle significantly more lately, but, uh, that goes for all kinds of takeout food and all of that right now. We have money right now. And so it feels right to be spending some of that. Well, and I got to tell you the, the wineries, what's the name of that town by you, Angela, with all of the wineries. Um, Woodenville. Yeah, Woodenville. Oh my goodness. What a fantastic place to go get drunk. Is <laughs> it's in Woodenville. Yeah. Um when the buses are running normally, we can walk down our hill, take the bus out to Woodenville and then walk out to the wineries. Yeah, it's just it's some great places too, some great stories out there. I found that one interesting. Thanks to everybody by the way who uh took part in that poll on Twitter. We see if we can get as many people involved in the show as we possibly can. Speaking of that, I think it's time we just end this thing. Fantastic show today, guys. Thanks a lot for participating. OG, what do you got going on this weekend, man? It's the annual renewal. Uh, every year, my wife sits decide whether or not she's going to renew for a year. And uh, fingers crossed, it's looking pretty good. We'll see. I'm feeling pretty confident that uh, that I'll get another year, but I'll let you know on Monday. Well, Tuesday. So the actual renewal will be on Monday. So she has a annually renewable contract. She's the only one that gets to vote. I'm pretty optimistic that she's going to keep me around another year. So <laughs> are you a, fe- are you a felon, OG? Is that because you're a felon? Uh, no, not at all. But but I'm <laughs> smart enough to know how this works. So I'm on my best behavior. I can see you're sweating right now. Oh, I haven't. This whole month is it's like Christmas for kids. You know, the whole month of December for kids, they make their beds and yes. do the dishes without being asked and stuff like that. Oh, I've mowed the grass. I pull the weeds. That's totally I, you. You know, I, I make dinner. I'm like, hey, look, I'm super helpful and and I'm needed. <laughs> I pay the bills on time. I do all this stuff. And then That's and true. then she forgets by July. 
you know, so it's great. Len, what's coming up at lenpenzo.com? I've got a piece on when good personal finance practices go too far. Oh. And, you know, we all try to do our best in the world of personal finance, but we can get uh, take it a little too far to the point of uh, uh, it's kind of absurd. And so I point out some of those. Yeah. Angela's thinking you have good personal finance practices. Then you start a blog. You end up on this damn podcast. That's when it goes too far. It's horrible. <laughs> Angela, thanks for joining us and saving the show today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> I like the pause. That's my favorite part. Tell us what's coming up on the blog. Gosh, I actually have completely lost my uh, right ahead posts right now. And um, things have very much right now been about COVID and about Black Lives Matter and everything that is going on in this world. The best part about having a personal finance blog and a you know, a lifestyle blog, though, any personal finance blog is political, it is personal, it has impacts on every parts of our lives. And so my biggest thing right now is making sure that what I'm writing reflects what's going on in my community and in my country. And so I don't know what's coming next other than I will continue to amplify women's voices on my Wednesday roundups and I'll be talking to everybody about, you know, my gardening and my support of my local community on Fridays. And Mondays are kind of a wild card right now. But my goal is to acknowledge that things are not normal right now and address that the best that I can. And by the way, for anybody who's out walking the dog or maybe just walking, head to treadlightlyretireearly.com. We'll have that link, by the way, in our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Really, Joe? I'm packing up the El Camino over here. You, you, you want me to stop and... Okay, fine. All right, I'll tell everybody what they should have learned. First, take a lesson from our roundtable. Worried that you don't understand someone? Be more curious about who they are and what they're feeling. Then you'll be able to find some empathy. Instead of shaming people when they aren't great at stacking Benjamins, maybe it's better to figure out how we can all help each other. Second, take a lesson from Andre Ugarte from Copilot. There are lots of tech tools out there that'll help you find a better way to manage your money and make more informed decisions. Make sure you keep trying options till you find the right fit for you. But the big takeaway, it went okay. It, it went fine. I told Joe's mom and she started packing immediately and asked me to dance even. Dance! Turns out Joe's mom doesn't like this place anyways. She's sure her new friend from online bingo, Doris, pretty sure Doris cheats and that this place is too damn hot. So turns out, actually, it's Doug to the rescue yet again. I'm helping everybody out. Of course. Big thanks to Angela from Tread Lightly Retire Early for joining us on the roundtable. You can find Angela at treadlightlyretireearly.com or we'll have a link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, thanks to Andre Ugarte, the co-founder of Copilot, for showing off how he tracks his accounts. You can check it out at copilot.money or on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Len Penzo appears courtesy of lenpenzo.com and thepersistentitch.com. 
This show is created by Joe Saul Seahive, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens here stays here. And if you're here for financial talk, might be a good time to say goodbye. Just catch us next week. But um, I'm wondering about this. You know, we talked a little bit about curiosity earlier, and I can think of some times when curiosity, little curiosity, might have helped me create a little better empathy to uh, maybe um, maybe not stick my foot in my mouth. And I was wondering if there was a time when you could have been a little more curious and it, and, and it might've helped. And specifically what I'm thinking about was a time that I got invited. I was very lucky. I got invited to a Detroit Pistons basketball game and I was sitting in the second row and it was amazing, by the way, these are seats that I could never afford to buy on my own, just phenomenal. And it was in this, the years when a, a player named Grant Hill used to play and he had these new sneakers called uh, Fila Hills they look like slippers with a blue line right up the middle of them. And uh, I was with the gentleman that invited me and another friend. And uh, we sat and we were ripping these shoes. We're just ripping these shoes and how bad they look. They were brand new like that week. They were so weird looking. I just kept saying, you know, they're kind of weird looking. They're just, man, I don't know. And he would inbounds right in front of us. And I just stared his shoes. I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I like them. And finally, by the end of the third quarter, I'd had a bunch of uh, liquid courage, we'll call it. And I just and I just said to my buddies, we're laughing. And I said, no, I've decided, guys, really hate the shoes. Can't stand the shoes. Uh, you think he gets paid to wear them, though? And the dude sitting right in front of me, like literally I've been staring at his head the, the whole game, turns around, his face is all red, and he shoves a card in my face and goes, Hell yeah, he gets paid to wear them. And if you ever want to know how much, why don't you call me? And it was the Fila rep, the dude who made the shoe as I ripped him the entire game, sitting right in front of me. Not a great day to be me. Maybe a little uh, little more empathy, a little, little more curiosity about who might have been sitting around me. Anybody ever stick their foot in their mouth that way, Len? Why don't I go to you Len? I, Len, you ever stick your foot uh, in your yeah. mouth? <laughs> 
I think I do that almost daily on this podcast that I'm here. <laughs> you know, Joe, I'm not going to follow that. I mean, you're going to ask me to follow that story. I mean, that, that's like, you know, the same thing when you when you ask Paula, hey, Paula, you know, you make me follow Paula on her list of what's going on at her blog versus what's going on at mine. No, no, I'm not going to play that game, Joe. Not it's, today. It's like that. It's like that Brian Regan joke. The when's the baby do what baby? Oh, boy. Not not good. Angela, you've never stuck your foot in your mouth, I'm sure. Clearly, never, ever. <laughs> Probably the biggest thing is not necessarily one specific story, but I cannot stand to lie to people, even when sometimes maybe a white lie would be the best course of action. You know, when I'm asked point blank for certain opinions, I give them and uh those friends I have that have stuck around love me for it, but I know that I've definitely made some people unhappy or uncomfortable with me because if if you're going to hear something from me, it's going to be the truth. Do you do that at a friend's house when they invite you over for dinner and they ask you how you like dinner and it really wasn't that good? Do you go, yeah. Yeah, actually. <laughs> um, so the woman who was my maid of honor, actually, this was probably – seven or eight years ago I was at her house and she had baked these like lavender cupcakes or something and I hate lavender in um food and I told her you know these would be great if it wasn't for the lavender <laughs> and she uh definitely still reminds me of that fact that I couldn't have just been like yeah these are really good I was like yeah they I hate them so <laughs> That's good. She stuck with you, though. That's good news. Yeah. Yeah, she has. So I don't know if that's a good trait or a bad trait that uh, you're going to hear from me. I mean, uh, my family has learned that, you know, with giving me gifts, if it's something I don't actually want, I will tell them. So perhaps maybe a little bit too much radical honesty, but uh, <laughs> I, I would say. rather err on that side of things. No, no pressure buying you gifts at all. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, once you um, buy me a good one and I tell you, you know, I really, really mean it. <laughs> we get you 15 pairs of those, whatever it is. Uh, OG. It's like when you play the game Clue and you just see like all the faces that are there, right? Like the thousands of faces and you're trying to decide which one of those is the person or you know what I'm talking about, like the the who done it thing. You know what's the, yeah. maybe it's not clue. What's the game that has the all the faces pop up and you have to like knock them down? Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, what's the name of the Guess game? Guess who? Guess who? Guess who? There you go. It's kind of like clue. Guess who? So it's got the thousands of faces. Which example of me putting my foot in my mouth? And I like they're all running together, so I can't actually create a, a compelling story, but. Um, I know when I was dating my wife, so this is my anniversary weekend and we've been married 18 years and we were together for five years before that for the better part of the first, I want to say maybe four or five months that we were dating. I thought her name was Alyssa <laughs> instead of Lissa. She knows that story. Her friend introduced us and um, her friend said, I worked with her friend. Her friend said, hey, you should hang out with my my friend. You know, she's cute and you guys would get along. And I said, no, that's really not for me. She's like, no, you should. And I said, well, if she wants to call me, she can. 
it's the only name in the phone book. Like total, just stupid just stuff like that. Like total, like yeah. what are you doing, you and, know? And she's still and, married. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, she'll, she would tell the stories that she started actually died. There was two names in the phone book. My, I forgot my uncle lived in town. So there's, you know, there's like two, my, my, you know, my parents, a phone number and then my uncle's and she picked the wrong one. She's like, I got halfway dial, you know, I dialed half the number. And I was like, screw this. If he doesn't even want to give me his phone number, you know? So like, there's like just a constant series of me trying to figure out ways to not be in her life. And then, you know, for some reason she stuck with it, you know, that's uh emotional courage on her part. Going back to that. <laughs> we, and now she's stuck. It, 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 the, the name game just reminds me, and I won't tell the whole story, but I think everybody will know where this is going. My daughter's soccer team, I was sure this other dad on the team that his name was Dick. And it turned out I was wrong. Yep. That was a bad day. I think we'll leave it there. Yeah, it turned out his name was Mark. But I've been calling I'm Mark, him. Dick. It's but, all the, you know. But Mark never told me his name wasn't Dick. So I would sit down to him every day and I'd go, hey, Dick, how's, I could never figure out why. I could never figure out why he would go, uh, how are you, a <laughs> I just thought he's being, no, it's Joe. I just thought he was being rude. And then I'm, then I'm standing behind him in, in line. His daughter and my daughter were in the same class and I'm standing behind him at the Scholastic Book Fair after a parent-teacher conference. And... Uh, you know, as back in the days, people had checkbooks out to buy their, you know, do their PTA donation thing. And and I was always interested when clients would give me checks like the art, you know, some people would have like and, and his checks like had Bugs Bunny on him or something as I saw him flash it. And uh, so I just kind of look over his shoulder while I'm standing right behind him. I've known this guy for I'm going to say a good two years. I've been calling him Dick and I look over his shoulder and it says Mark and Sue. And then their last name. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, and he never so called. Did you just casually start calling him Mark? Yes. <laughs> I just casually launched a beat. <laughs> I, I called him Mark as many times in the next hour as, as I've ever called anybody by their first name. Hey, Mark. Like, I've known all along your name's Mark. But why the hell did I think his name? What I could have thought his name was Bill or Jim or Frank. But I... <laughs> Decided his name was Dick. Anyway. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.